everyone. There we go. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see some of your, uh, your beautiful faces here this morning and to be with all those of you who are participating online. Um, for those of you who are outside here, there is, I think there still is one blanket there if you're getting a little chilly. So I <laughs> see a couple of you huddling in blankets. So it's nice to be here with you this morning. We are, are starting a new series this morning during, that's going to continue through uh, Eastertide and then into the season after Pentecost, a new series called The Lifestyle of Jesus, Following a Different Way. So we're looking out scenes throughout the Gospel of Luke, throughout Jesus' life, that show us not just what Jesus was teaching, but how he was living his life, what we see him doing. Why does this matter for us? Well, for a few reasons. Jesus says in Luke 6, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, they are like a man who builds his house on the rock. He says in Luke 8, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. In chapter 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Chapter 14, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So everywhere that Jesus is going, he's telling people, put this into practice. Do as I do. Follow me. Follow me. Follow my example. Learn from me. Take on my yoke. Live as I do. Eugene Peterson calls this apprenticeship under Jesus. Under him, we are like disciples in training, interns with Jesus, watching how he does it, how he was so close to the Father, how he was never in a rush. You ever notice that? Jesus was never in a hurry, how he was such a joy to be around, how he was always so attentive to people, how, how he always took time for people. How on earth did he do all this? We're going to explore this question for the next 12 weeks, interrupted here and there by other guest speakers, so you'll have a little variety. How he was so, how he was so focused on his main priority. And each one of these passages we're, we're going to look at points to a specific spiritual discipline or posture that Jesus himself employed that we all should as well if we are to truly seek to follow him, as he's asked us to. But we're going to realize pretty quickly that this way, this other way of living, is a tad uncomfortable if we really follow it with everything we have. It takes time. It takes effort. It's not actually natural to the lifestyle of our surrounding culture. If we live into his way, we actually push against our North American society. And our North American society actually pushes right back, which can lead us to feeling as if our efforts are futile. It can be discouraging. And as a result of this, as Mike Goheen puts it, so much of our, our Christianity has gotten separated into little bits and pieces that we do here and there. And these, these little bits and pieces of our discipleship are like little ping pong balls that get thrown into the cultural river of, of our society, a, a fast-flowing current that just sweeps them all away. All of our little efforts to exercise our faith here and there don't stand a chance against the strong flowing current of our culture, of materialism and consumerism, of the pressure to fit everything in and, and please everybody all at the same time, against the constant need for rushing and hurrying and efficiency and getting things done. It's a cultural lifestyle very different than the one that Jesus wants us to live, where we'll discover, which we're going to discover more and more as we go along throughout these weeks. Jesus doesn't just want bits and pieces of us. Apprenticeship with him is about a whole new way of living. 
And when we truly follow him with all we've got, not just in theory, but in practice, we find that this is not just one way to live. It is the only way to truly live. So this morning we're looking at a passage in Luke chapter 2. So if you brought your Bibles with you, if you've got your Bibles at home, you can turn to chapter, uh, chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at verses 41 through 52. It will be on the screen for those of you that uh, don't have your Bible beside you. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching, have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So what's going on here in this passage? And what do we see Jesus doing? What specifically do we see him doing? Starting with verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So a little bit of background here. The, the Passover was the festival, the feast that commemorated Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Once, once they were slaves, and then God had redeemed them. It was a hugely significant time of the year for the whole Jewish nation, for all of the, the Jewish people scattered over the Roman Empire, particularly because they were now slaves again, but under the Roman Empire. And so Rome would actually station extra troops in Jerusalem during that whole week in fear of a rebellion or an, or an uprising for any zealots that would again hear this Exodus narrative and seek to see it happen again by their own power. And this time around, verse 42, Jesus goes along with his parents because here, now he's 12 years old. The year when a Jewish boy would officially become a man, which means that the whole, the weight of the law was now on him. He would now take on what any Jewish man would take on. So it, it was just, it was sort of a, like an initiation into manhood. So this is probably the first time that Jesus is actually going with his parents to Jerusalem. But then, trauma of traumas, verse 43, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And now I know what all you parents are thinking. How on earth could Joseph and Mary just up and leave and not know that Jesus wasn't with them? How do you do that? Well, here's the thing. Whenever a group of, of Jews would leave Jerusalem, they would go in these large caravans of people. So they were probably with a fairly large group of people. Groups of Jews... Um, 
from outside of Jerusalem would often travel together, and, and what would happen is that the women and the children would often go first because they were the slower travelers, so they would leave first, and then the men would often follow afterwards, and they would meet together at the same camp later on that day. So on one hand, in such a large group of people, parents may well have not known where their children were. In addition to that, Mary could have left with the earlier group thinking that Jesus was with Joseph, and then Joseph would have left with the other group thinking that Jesus was with Mary. And then when they got to the camp, of course, later that evening, what would have ensued was the, the natural conversation of, well, I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was with you. And they might have needed some marriage counseling after that. But talk about a parent's worst nightmare. Verse 44 tells us that they had traveled for a full day without realizing, before realizing that he wasn't with them or among any of their other relatives. And so they have to hurry back to Jerusalem. And verse 45, after three days found him in the temple courts. Just, just let that sit with you for a second. So they've traveled a day. They travel back, probably another day. And after three days, they find him in the temple courts. Mary must have been beside herself. I mean, they probably had to get a hotel, rent a camel, buy extra food. I mean, Jesus wasn't just costing them anxiety here. Reading this story actually... Reminded me of a time, and I had to ask my mom to help me remember this, because I don't actually remember it, but I remember her telling me about it. Uh, reminded me of a time when I was three years old, and my parents took me and my, my older brother to the zoo at Stanley Park, back in the day when Stanley Park had a zoo. I think it closed down in like 96 or something. Um, we were there with the whole extended Vimbas family, and so there was a number of, other, of, number of other people with us, a whole caravan. And at one point, when everyone was moving along down the pathway, suddenly my mom realized that I was no longer with them. Which is always a mother's greatest fear, right? Of course. She said that it was, she did say to me that it was only maybe a few minutes before she realized that I wasn't there. It wasn't like it was three days. But she said she ran and she ran furiously back to where we had just been, which was the monkey cage. Funny enough. And, and there I was. There I was, sitting very calmly, looking at the monkeys. Still just staring at the monkeys. She said this, you didn't even realize that we had left. I just simply hadn't gotten up with everyone else because my attention was so fixated on what was in front of me. And, and if, for those of you that know me, I, I can get very tunnel vision, so this doesn't surprise me at all. But I hadn't even noticed when everyone had just up and left. I was delighting in simply sitting, watching, and observing the oh-so-enlightening monkeys. Little did I know, of course, that I was really just trying to follow Jesus' example, because when Mary and Joseph find Jesus at the temple, what do they find him doing? Verse 46 and 47. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. What is Jesus doing? He's sitting. He's listening. He's asking questions. And he's understanding. That was his greatest priority in that moment. All of his family had up and left. Everyone had gone. But he wasn't worried about it. He knew that they would know where to find him. And not just that, he expected that they would know where he was. Look at verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know 
I had to be in my father's house. Another way of translating that is to be about my father's business. Perhaps you've, you've heard it said that way before. The Greek is a bit odd, it, but it, it implies to be with my father, to be about my father, to be with him in some capacity. Why does he say it that way? Why, why does he have to be with his father? Well, because for Jesus, that's what everything was about. Everything was about his father, of, of listening to the scriptures, of steeping himself in God's narrative, of, of studying them, learning them, engaging them. That was the primary way by which he understood his own identity, his relationship with the father, how he knew how he was meant to fit into the greater story. See, Luke is very intentionally placing this story, this early piece of Jesus' life near the beginning of his gospel here to, to show us that already at a young age, Jesus is showing his parents the priority needed to live into this new way. Because notice how Jesus doesn't actually say our father, which your average Jew would have said. And the average Jew would never have said my father. So this is a new thing, right? He's already implying or alluding to an intimacy, a kind of relationship with God the Father that has not been seen before. Mary and Joseph, in other words, can no longer be his first priority. Now, Jesus doesn't push this on them. If you'll notice, the text tells us that he was obedient to his parents after that. Okay? So he didn't cause them any more grief. But verse 51 tells us that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Why, Why would she do that? Well, it, it's hard for us to imagine a similar kind of situation but imagine your 12-year-old child or, or a nephew or a niece that you're looking over or watching over is, uh, goes missing for three days. You have no idea where they are. You're looking frantically everywhere for them. I mean, Langley's a pretty big place, right? You have no idea where they are. You've, you've asked other people to help you look. But then you happen to come here by the church and you find them sitting in the sanctuary here in the building, engaging Ed, myself, Curtis, Liz, Ed came back from sabbatical for this. They're, they're engaging us in a conversation about scripture. And the reason we haven't bothered to send you word about it is because we're just so completely enthralled by this child's wisdom and, and understanding. We're learning new things from them. This young child is telling us things that we've never even heard before. We who have, have spent time studying this stuff. Now, I mean, I can imagine you be, being pretty upset with us if that was actually the situation and we hadn't told you, and of course significantly annoyed with this child, but, but wouldn't there be a part of you also, just even, even a small part of you, that would just marvel at it? Wouldn't there be just a small part of you even that would just be in awe? Like, what's just happened? Although it caused her anxiety beyond measure, I'm sure, Mary treasured this experience in her heart. She may not have understood it, but she remembered it. She was learning through her son. She was learning that, she, that he was more than just her son. She was learning that he was more than just Joseph's adopted son. She was learning that they could not be her son's first priority. She was learning that a deeper priority needed to be formed. Jesus knew what was needed. He wasn't in a hurry to move on 
to switch gears, to run on someone else's agenda. He knew what was needed and what was necessary to inhabit God's story. See, there's, there's a certain kind of innocent trust, a childlike trust needed when we're talking about following the way of Jesus. It's, it's going to take sacrifice. Yeah, we're going to miss out on other things, but once we're focused on it, we, we don't worry so much about all that other stuff. Jesus could have spent days just sitting with the scriptures in dialogue with others. It was a delight for him. He was listening to the discussions and eagerly searching for knowledge, and he wants us to have that same thirst, to thirst for it in the same way, because if we're to follow him, we too are to be students of God's word, each and every one of us. To understand, to seek understanding, to prioritize being about the Father's business, both here on Sunday mornings and in the rest of the week as well. Because remember, later on in Luke, as we heard Pastor Liz share with us earlier, what do we see Jesus doing after his resurrection? There's another couple, likely, walking outside of Jerusalem after the Passover, after the Passover festival. After Jesus' death, there's another couple, likely walking with a caravan of people, two disciples, Cleopas and and maybe his wife, maybe someone else, on the Emmaus Road, who also thought that they had lost Jesus. But this time, Jesus is not found in the temple. This time, Jesus walks alongside of them. This time, Jesus is the Father's house. Jesus is the place of worship. He's the place of understanding and learning. This time, Jesus is the one who teaches them the words of knowledge and wisdom and invites the disciples to encounter the scriptures through him. This time, Jesus reveals that he is now the fulfillment of scripture. That all of it, what he, what he would have been learning already at a young age at the temple, he would have been learning this, that, that his footprint is all over the pages of Scripture. And all of it was leading up to this point. And see, this experience for these disciples on the road to Emmaus would have meant nothing if they didn't already know the Scriptures that Jesus was explaining to them. So if we, then, are to follow in Jesus' way, to follow his example, to walk in his path, our task then, too, is to be students, sitting in the Father's house, sitting in Christ, listening, asking, understanding, having a thirst for Jesus and a knowing Jesus to know the Father. This isn't a matter, see, of of sorting out our priorities, but rather focusing on the one priority, and letting all the others fall into place. Which is why I think Luke highlights Mary in chapter 10, who's allowed to sit at Jesus' feet because that's exactly what she's doing. Didn't matter if she was a woman or if women never did that or that other people were looking at her and scorning her for her choices. She had her first priority right. We take it so for granted that we have the words of Christ written down for us. We forget that if we didn't have this, we, we would have zero context for knowing who Jesus was, 
why he came, what he said, what he was all about, how he lived, what it means for us, nothing. If God didn't allow his story to be explained through his word, we, we would all be lost. We wouldn't be able to know Jesus and to know that everything, literally everything in the cosmos, hangs in him. There's an image by a, a Korean artist named uh, Gwang Hyuk Ri, and shout out to Mark Yang for helping me pronounce that. And this is the kind of picture that needs to be seen to be believed. So we're going to put it up on the screen here. It's an image of the whole New Testament written out. And so you'll see on this slide, on the left there, there's the actual image. And then on the right there, you get a little bit closer of a look, a zoom in there. So the entire, he's, it took him two years to do this. He wrote out the entire New Testament, 185,000 words. And there's 1,000 words per line going across each one. And out of the words arises the word. Done by, by inking some words more heavily. So you can see he's, he's just darkened certain words to, to make this image stand out. But the concept is that out of the words arises the word. Out of the gospels arises the gospel. Jesus himself is the good news. The words have literally, the word has literally become flesh. And around him, you can see 27 angels representing the 27 books of the New Testament, all pointing at him in adoration. And in, in other words, what that's meant to say is that all of the new covenant, all of the new creation centers on him. It, it looks at him and it brings out the person of Jesus. And, and I would argue that actually all 66 books of, of scripture are meant to do that, but I'm sure he couldn't fit that many angels in. Um, but that's, that's the idea of it. As E. Stanley Jones puts it, the, the business of scripture is to take us by the hand and take us beyond the words to the word. This image for me just completely encapsulates how we are to approach scripture. We, we read the words and our desire is that the word, Christ himself, comes out of it. You know, this is, uh, this is why we, whenever we encourage new believers to read scripture, we tell them to start with the gospels. Start with the gospels. Or, or if somebody, if, if you yourself haven't picked up the word in a long time, uh, you're stuck in a rut and your Bible's just kind of gathering dust on a, on a shelf somewhere, start with the Gospels. Encounter Jesus and then go and read the rest because he fulfills everything that came before and he's the source of everything that comes after. He's our new hermeneutic for reading scripture. In other words, he is how we interpret scripture. Whenever we open it, we're walking the road to Emmaus with Jesus. We are those two disciples that get to walk with him. Sitting, listening, asking, and understanding is now one of the key ways that we as his followers are identified. We seek understanding. It's, it's why he was always asking his disciples, do you not understand? Do you not yet understand? We seek understanding, and then the joy of that is that we can walk alongside others who are seeking understanding. Danny, uh, my husband Danny, told me recently that uh, the, one of the pastors at First Baptist is actually doing a class on how to read the Bible well, and they've had 50 people sign up for it, which to me says that there is a growing appetite for understanding Scripture. The, the North American church, you know, has, I think has really been stuck in a season of existence for a while now where, where reading the Bible just hasn't been a priority 
right? There's been a lot of assumptions and there's just been a, a, a lacking of putting that uh, um, at the top of the priority list. But now we're seeing a wave of a young and old people alike who are, who are looking at this book and going, what do I do with this? <laughs> How am I supposed to read this? I, I, this is apparently important to my discipleship, but what am I supposed to do with this? If we're to walk the road to Emmaus with Jesus in light of his resurrection, it naturally implies walking through the scriptures with Jesus. And to say, you know, I have heard this a lot, and to say, I don't get anything out of scripture, you can see now how that's a really, a really sad thing to say. The most wonderful thing that we can do in and for the world is to know and to follow Jesus, but we can't do that. We can't get to know him if we're not seeking to sit at his feet and to learn from him. So if you're someone who, who struggles to soak it in or you, or you struggle to understand it, that's okay. That's okay. Just simply ask Jesus to help you. Pray for Holy Spirit wisdom. Ask him to reveal himself to you through the words and then be patient with it. If reading is hard, maybe download the audio version. You know, I've been, I've been listening to the audio book of, of The Lord of the Rings and I, it actually holds my attention much better than just reading it. You know, read, read until one verse stands out to you and, and, then, and then just let that sit. Let that be the verse that you carry into your day. Ask questions of the text and, and pray for the Holy Spirit to provide answers to, to, to verses that you don't understand. Sometimes it takes a few days, but I, I know from experience, he always helps. He wants us. He wants us to understand more than we want to understand. Discuss what you've learned with others. One of the best ways, to, as teachers know this, one of the best ways to, to steep knowledge into your own heart and mind is to teach it to other people and to discuss it with others adamantly search for helpful ways to engage with the word. Don't wait until it's convenient for you. That's not how apprenticeship works. Jesus asked his disciples to set aside everything, to follow him. And following him was a 24-7 activity. As followers of Jesus, we trust that when we sit at his feet, seeking to listen, to ask, to understand. There is a transformative power, a sanctifying power, a power through the Holy Spirit that grows and develops more and more over time, gradually, just as he promised. Keeping that flame of curiosity burning. Because, you know, the, the end of the text, the end of our text for this morning, actually tells us that Jesus did one more thing. Verse 52 Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Is that our desire? Is that our desire as well? And not just to grow, but to grow in such wisdom that we have favor with God and with others because of our devotion. Because we are such devoted disciples of Jesus. Is that what we are known for? Because you know, you all sitting outside and all of you guys at home, you're not just lay people. You are the priesthood of all believers. Priests in training for ministry. 
mediating the presence of God to other people, mediating the presence of Christ to other people, proclaiming his name, being discipled for his work in the world. Your own training is indispensable for the kingdom of God to be built here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Esau Macaulay shares this, and I'll, I'll finish here. That in the days of slavery in the U.S., slave masters would actually try to limit their slaves from reading the Bible because they feared it might actually cause rebellion. Learning the scriptures might lead to an expansion of their worlds, a greater understanding, a broadening of their imaginations, and they would start to see how their slave master's interpretations of scripture were severely distorted. In other words, scripture was too dangerous to be shared. Being denied access was was actually what kept the minds of these women and men in slavery. Their imaginations needed to be sheltered in order to not be reshaped and transformed. Similarly, our minds too will remain slaves to the cultural machine following the Western way, this strong current that's around us, kept in the narrative of of buying our happiness, working for status, creating our own meaning, proving our own value, never being good enough, hiding weaknesses and vulnerability. We stay slaves to all of that if we are not reshaped and transformed by a different way. The way that we follow and that we seek to follow is not an it. It's not a system. It's not, a, it's not an ideology. It's a person. We seek to follow a person, a person who frees us by his sacrifice to leave behind the yoke of our worries and our fears and our shame and to delight in the unforced rhythms of grace to soak in his word that shows us who we are and whose we are, to sit at his feet, to dwell in his house, to be about the Father's business, and ultimately, to follow him. Amen. Let's pray. Living God, Once again, Lord, we are humbled by you. We are humbled, Lord, by your words. We are humbled that at times, Lord, we fall so short. We are humbled that even though we fall short, that you yet daily ask us to follow you. You desire for us. You delight in us following you. We ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would allow your words to sink deeply into our hearts and our minds. May we be transformed and renewed by your way and have a deepened desire to pursue you as our greatest priority. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, 
the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.